So promises, promises. Many promises are made. What promises can we believe? Where can we put our hope? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. And as we're turning there in Jeremiah 29, I should, I should uh, set the context just a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah 29 is, 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 is occurring 600 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, the, the, the nation of Israel and, and the city of Jerusalem has come under tribute to the empire of Babylon. They are not all carried away in, as captives yet, but some of the people have been forcibly relocated. The previous king and the leaders and the most highly educated and the most promising of their citizens have been forced to relocate in Babylon for two reasons. They've been forced to relocate so that they will not cause an uprising in Jerusalem against King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. They've also been relocated so that they can serve the broader empire instead of just, just there in Jerusalem. They have abilities, they have skills, and the Babylonian Empire is going to put those to its use. So in the midst of that, there are competing voices. In the midst of this captivity that God has given his people over to, this tribute to a, a, a foreign empire. They're no longer free. In the midst of that, there are prophets arising, both among those who remain in Jerusalem and among those who have been taken away into Babylon. There, there are these prophets that arise and say, don't worry, folks. This won't stand. Don't worry, folks. This is going to get turned around. Things are going to get better. God is going to change this. God is not going to leave us in this mess. Don't worry, in just a year, maybe two, we're going to be free and back in Jerusalem again. These promises are being raised up. And Jeremiah is addressing those false promises. Jeremiah is writing a letter to those who are in Babylon, who have been taken away already, and he's writing to them, answering them, warning them against the message of these false prophets. How should they live in the midst of a foreign people? An ungodly people, a people who do not serve or believe in their God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 29. I'll start at verse 4. If you're using the Pew Bible, that'll be at the very top of page 558. Jeremiah 29, 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Sounds like they're going to be there a while. Also, verse 7, Seek the peace of the, and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, not against it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Jeremiah warns them. He says, don't put your trust in these prophets that you so want to listen to. Don't put your trust in these leaders that we would choose. We would choose to follow them because we want so badly to be true what they say. And he says, it's not true. That is not what God is doing. But God is doing. God is doing, but that's not what, I, what God is doing. That which we wish is not what God is about at this present time. So he says, don't put your hope in the leaders we choose. We want to see a godly influence in our society for their good and for our good in its midst. And yet, it could be that God is in the midst of allowing something else and even doing something else. There are voices of hope. There are promises of change. There are, there's messages out there that we want to believe in. If we rally together, if we work hard enough, we can affect this change and our community will be better and our nation will be more godly again. And so we easily get drawn into giving our efforts and energies in these directions. And it might be, it might be what God is about. It might not be what God is about. We might be giving ourselves to a false promise that we want so bad to be true, and yet it's not. You know, there's a history of people giving themselves to promises that aren't real, that aren't true. Wanting to believe something. It was popular in the Old Testament era. It was warned against in the first century in the earliest part of the church that, that, that Paul himself warned the churches against uh, uh, raising up among themselves and for themselves accumulating teachers that they wanted to listen to, teachers who would suit their own passions. And even today, one of the, probably the largest church in the country, you can dial in on TV and you can, you can, uh, you can listen in, you can pull it up on YouTube and chances are you'll hear something that sounds, you'll hear something that sounds a lot like this. I believe that some of you here today are just around the corner from a breakthrough. You're in some difficult times right now, but hang in there, hold on, because in just a little while, in just around the corner, God is going to open the, up heaven and God is going to pour down blessings upon you that are more than you could imagine. It might be difficult right now. You might be struggling right now. It might be tough in your job, but just around the corner, God has a blessing for you. So hold on, keep going, because just around the corner, there's going to be a breakthrough. That's a message of hope. Well, that's encouraging. And even if we're a little cynical, even if we're a little skeptical, we well, maybe it could be true. Maybe... That's a positive message. We want that to be true, even if it isn't. You know, that's why we buy lottery tickets, isn't it? Oh, you don't buy lottery tickets. Oh, sorry. I have a poem. I came across a poem. It says, it's called A License to Dream. A ticket is a license. 
a license to dream, just a small piece of paper spit out by a machine. A driver's license gives freedom, a hunter's lets you kill, but a lottery ticket, there is real escape, if just for a little while. I could quit this awful job. I could pay off all my bills, get a kicking mansion, leave something in my will. It's an actual possibility, if only for a while, a small dose of brain candy until this license expires. Then the day comes when the numbers are drawn and you look to see what you already knew. You didn't match one. But you know, that's okay. You're probably better off anyway. For a buck, I can buy another ticket. I can dream another week away. You see, we like to dream. We like to hope for that which is beyond us. And yet, what should I hope for? What dream should I dream? Where should I put my hope in? Because the Bible also warns us that hope deferred makes the heart grow weak. And if we give our energies, affection, and devotion to a dream which will not be realized, we will be disappointed. Our, our faith will be starved out and we will be left hopeless. Politically, we want someone to have an answer. We want a solution that's going to change our situation. We're even willing to trade our, our freedoms away to try and secure it. And yet it won't satisfy. It won't be delivered. It won't get us what we wanted. Christians often want to believe that God wants to bring righteousness to society. And yet there are times when God actually wasn't doing that. There are times, like here in Jeremiah 29, when God was taking his people away from that temple. He was taking his people out from their, their uh, following of the law of Moses, well, because they weren't following, but he was putting them out in the middle of a different rule. He's putting them in the middle of a, of a foreign land among a foreign peoples with all kinds of influences. And yet, yet there, in that pigsty, was where God was at work. It's fascinating to see how in some of the most difficult places around the world, how their God is at work. And how there the church is growing and being strengthened. We can give ourselves. We can give ourselves to God wants to bring righteousness into this society. We put everything into that election. And yet those dreams might distract. We need to choose well. We have an obligation to participate in an election and to choose well there. And yet our hope is not in the leaders we choose. Our hope is in the God who has chosen us. You know, we, get, we put too much into this, and, and it's easy for evangelicals to be guilty of this. We put too much into our hope in the leaders that we'll choose or the issues that we will resolve. We put so much confidence in that that we put our push into that. And guess what? We are adding all of that baggage onto our identity as Christians. We are doing what Paul himself declared he was careful not to do, not to add any other offense or offensiveness onto the offense of the cross. You know that the message of the cross is offensive. That if we are going to confront people with the truth that they are so helpless, I know as can do as we are, we are so helpless, that we are so evil and de inherently depraved, 
We are so broken. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot be good enough. We are so beyond self-help that God had to take his own perfect son to die for us in our place. That by believing in him, trusting him doing what we could never do for ourselves, you're telling somebody, yes, you really are that bad. We all are. That's not a happy, pleasant message. That's an offensive message. And we dare not add any other offense, any additional offense, any other obstacles or barriers beyond that one. We don't add any other offense to the offense of the cross. Sometimes if we're putting our hope in the wrong places, if we're hoping in the leaders we choose, we might be adding the offense of choose with us or you're against us. We might be adding other offense to the offense of the cross. I was speaking last night about how we need to be involved in the midst of our, our society's greatest privilege. We also need to be very careful how we do that. That's my point this week. Be involved there. Don't put your hope there. Does that make sense? Our hope is not in the leaders we choose. Our hope is in the God who chose us. The word from Jeremiah from verse 10 forward is that the captivity will continue. God is in this. God is behind us. Could it be? Does God now and again give people over to the consequences of their choices? He did that with Adam and Eve. He does that with societies. He does that with individuals. He did that with the prodigal son, and it was there in the pigsty. That's where he met him. The prodigal is an illustration of what happened in Babylon. Yes, God sent them to Babylon, and God worked there in the midst of an uncomfortable situation. We don't want uncomfortable situations. We don't want things around here to get harder. We want them to get easier. And yet, sometimes it's in the harder. Sometimes it's in the ugly. Sometimes it's in the mess that there, that eyes are open to our genuine helplessness. That's where sometimes people will see, like that prodigal son did, like we often do, don't we? When we're in the midst of our own mess that we can't dig our way out of it. We can't be good enough. We can't behave. We can't keep the list. I need Jesus. Other people need to know that not only do they need Jesus, we need Jesus. Sometimes it's in the midst of the mess where that becomes most evident. That's what God is doing in Babylon. God, God took them to Babylon. God wasn't going to quickly deliver them from Babylon, but it was there that God was working. Oh, there's a great message of hope there. But it's going to be a while, seven years. That's not good news. It doesn't seem like good news. In fact, why 70 years? Let's talk about that in just a minute. Why 70 years? 70 years is a lifetime. 70 years, according to Psalm 90 and verse 10, is the normal span of a life. And you say, the Bible's outdated. We live a lot longer than that. Really? Did you know the average or the life expectancy in America, if you were born in 1980, and some of you were older than this, so it's not necessarily good news, but if you were born in 1980, life expectancy, according to a Harvard study and the World Bank, is 74 years. Now, if you're really young, born in 2010, you, your life expectancy, they're saying, is about 78 years. Well, that's more than 70. Good. Well, we, we take it worldwide, and we're probably back to 70 or under then, aren't we? And imagine from 
3,000 years ago when Psalm 90 was written, and the average life expectancy was 70 years, or maybe if strength and health, 80 years, with all of our efforts towards science and health and medicine and the miracles that we expect, we haven't gained a lot of ground, have we? We haven't gained much ground at all, really. Oh boy, our hope will not be in the leaders we choose, nor even in our situations in the doctors we choose. Our hope is in the God who chose us. But 70 years in Babylon, what is he telling them? He's telling them, you people, you adults, you grown-ups, you're going to work and you're going to live and you're going to give yourselves in faith in Babylon to the next generation for their future hope and even as they raise their generations to be the ones who come out, who emerge out of Babylon in faith, in hope, to build a new temple that God himself in the person of Jesus Christ will visit. Wow. What we do today goes beyond us. How you live in faith today goes beyond your life. We are living all of this life for what we will realize beyond it. We're like Abraham, having a promise that we haven't yet obtained. We are looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God himself. And yet we labor in this life, all life for that. There's generational truth in Jeremiah 29. The, the parents are seeking, seeking spouses, raising up and seeking spouses for their children who are then to spe- seek spouses and family for their children. There's a generational truth that I could turn, turn over then and apply young people. Ecclesiastes warns you to um, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Why? Because we're easily distracted. Like that prodigal, things look so shiny. They look so beautiful and attractive and promising. We go after it and we get distracted. And yet the distraction easily, the distraction easily pulls us away from where hope really is. That false hope, that fool's gold that looks so good and yet it actually turns out to be nothing really. And in the end, beyond the 70 years, is nothing. Parents, it's not too late to come back around with your kids and say, you know, I haven't. I haven't always chosen well. I haven't always put my hope where it should be and directed our family's hope where it ought to be, but it's not too late to turn. It's not too late to have a change of mind and a change of heart that has to be shown then. Kids will only believe a change in action, won't they? You see, and where we put our hope and where we live our lives is what rubs off and does influence the next generation. Some of you are grandparents. And you, and you look back over your family and you see your family tree wilting. You have had a testimony of faith and yet you look out across the generations of your family after you and it's not being shared. It's not being lived in. And you say, as old as I am, what can I do? And one thing, of course you can pray, but you can also say, you can also speak up, and the sincere words of your seasoned experience in life mean much to your family, probably more than you realize. 
I can still hear my grandmother telling me before I was a Christian about a better day coming, and I thought she was just being optimistic about after the election, but she meant a whole lot more than that. She's in the midst of that better day already that I yet look forward to and anticipate. You don't know what influence you have to speak up even in the midst of your family generation because imagine, imagine the tragedy if we wander off. You know, there's two, there's two kinds of people within Babylon that would miss God's 70 years later blessing. There's two kinds of people that, whose families could easily miss the beyond this lifespan blessing. Number one is those who follow the false dream, who, who believe the false prophets. And, and Jeremiah, right before this passage in chapter 28, and right after the part that we read from 15 forward, he warns those prophets both in Jerusalem and in Babylon that if you follow those prophets, those prophets are going to be cut off. They will not have any descendants who are going to see the restoration and God's new temple. They're not going to see it. But also there are those who say 70 years that's a long time. We're not going to see anything soon. not going to see anything quick. It's not going to get better now, so I might as well just hunker down and do the best I can. Yeah, that'll happen someday, but I'm just going to focus on what's here and now. And that's how they would raise a generation after them who marries whoever. And a generation after them who when time comes and a decree is given and an expedition is sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild God's temple and worship again there. You know what? They're not interested in going. They'd just soon stick right here in Babylon. There's two kinds of people. Those who believe the lie and those who don't embrace the truth. Either one of them miss God's blessing. Our hope is not in the leaders we choose. This election, from your perspective or mine, could go great. It could be a disaster. But there is a much bigger issue playing out day to day. Do we have more confidence in how mere men define marriage or in the transforming power of the gospel in one life at a time and how that will transform anybody's marriage? Where is our confidence really? We need to be engaged. We need to be involved. But our hope is not in the leaders we choose. Our hope is in the God who chose us. In these 70 years, in the midst of a lifespan, God is at work. Sometimes it's in the midst of very dark and difficult times. Sometimes it's in the midst of the pig pen, but there God is at work, breaking a cycle, purging his people, working his will, and so we'll come alongside people there. We'll practice praying for you there. In the midst of the troubles of life, we will Pray for those who share with us about a difficulty. Is it right if I pray with you about that? Not only that, but we will be what God has promised. He hasn't promised to change the circumstances, and we often cannot change theirs. But what can we do? We can be there. And that is exactly what God has promised, that he will be for us. I will never leave you. He says, I will be with you even until the end of the age. He says, I am a very present help in time of trouble. That's where our hope is. In the midst of the trouble, in the midst of despair, no matter where the society goes, oh, we want to be a light in the midst of darkness. We want to be salt of the earth. 
But most of all, let that light and that salt be for the gospel more than anything else, which will last longer than anything at all. Our hope is not. Even, you know, as you're approaching this election, as you're talking to people before the vote, as you're, as you're talking about the results after they roll in, don't confuse people about where your hope really is. Don't dilute your own witness among them. Our hope is not in the leaders that we choose. Our hope is in the God who chose us. Would you pray with me? Father, keep our eyes on the prize in the midst of the distractions of life. Keep our eyes focused on the hope of the gospel in the midst of so many other voices that would attract us and draw us. Lord, oh Lord, at times it seems like um, our society is at a crossroads. But Lord, we don't know perhaps the crossroads, the eternal crossroads of people right near to us. And Lord, in the bigger scheme of things, 70 years from now, that will matter far more. Oh Lord, would you make us your winsome, pleasant witnesses among those who we care about, among those whom we need to know. Use us, Lord, in this city for the good of the city, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.